So I was uh, first gen to go off to college, but growing up, I grew up on a, a family farm that had been in my family for, my dad would have been fourth generation. In the 80s, in the middle part of the country, the farming industry was very, very depressed and economy at that time. And there were farmers that were uh, losing their farms. And my family was no different. Even though the, this farm had been in my family for a long time, my father was having a hard time um, making it. He knew that he was going to lose the farm if he did not do something different. He started a business in town. He never thought he would start a business, but he started a business in town. And uh, they operated that business for 30 years, maybe. They just sold it two years ago so that they could both retire. That business uh, really saved our farm. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt-sized company, from small 16 employees to extra-large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership, and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Scott Burdett. Scott is a strategic growth advisor to mid-market financial services companies who seek top-level revenue growth. He has nearly 30 years' experience advising companies on transformative marketing and sales and service strategies that consistently achieve double-digit growth. Scott inspires member-centric thinking, and his mission is to help executive leaders create enhanced value for those they serve. His broad industry experience, innovative and entrepreneurial spirit, curiosity for discovering the root of any problem, and collaborative approach for aligning people around a common vision enable him to invent, communicate, and execute transformative strategies that achieve growth. Prior to launching his consulting practice, Scott served in various executive roles for banks, credit unions, financial tech, and investment management firms, where he consistently drove double-digit revenue by implementing transformative change in how organizations acquire, grow, and retain customers. You can learn more about Scott at BurdickConsulting.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Scott. Scott, I'd like to welcome you to the Corporate Couch this afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, love your office setup. Where, where do you office at again? I am at the WeWork location in the Crossroads. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah. And very nice headphones there. What, are, what brand are those? I don't even know. <laughs> They're very old. I need new ones. Oh, it looks but good. I like them better than my AirPods. I look like a gamer, right? Yeah, there you go. Or a yeah. pilot. Uh, <laughs> we got you. Whiskey 4 Niner. We're coming in runway 785. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. I, it's, it's a Tuesday afternoon. We have not had happy hour yet. At least I have not. So anyhow, thanks. I'm again ready for- when I'm ready when you are. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, hey, so uh, we've been in the uh, COVID pandemic for three years now, uh, give or take. And uh, I always like to ask people now that Zoom is, you know, as commonplace as driving to an office in the uh, pre-COVID days. What's the craziest attire you've seen on a professional Zoom call or lack of attire that somebody had on a Zoom call? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, well, the first thing that comes to mind is a, a, a ball cap backwards. Okay. Uh, okay. And I'm just like, I'm the- like, really? I mean, come on. Uh- <laughs> Okay. Uh, what was the second and one? A tank top. No? A, a man, a man in a tank top. Oh wow! What was he? Uh, Seventeen, eighteen years old? Uh, no, he was uh, in his forties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I like tank tops in high school and college, and maybe <laughs> parts of my twenties. But anyhow, it's just, uh, it's, just a, it's a different time. Anything goes a little bit. Yeah, the tank top think, after a workout. Yeah, after exactly. work out too. <laughs> yeah, so I also like to talk about uh, uh, people's childhood. You know, forms us as adults. But uh, growing up, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that too. But growing up, what did you want to be when you became an adult? What was your kind of goal, the dream? Well, there were two things. Uh, the, my earliest years. So I grew up in on a farm in Northeast Missouri. Uh, and, uh, my first thing that I wanted to be was a veterinarian and I'm not really sure why, um, uh, the veterinarians that would come out to our farm, they were cool. They seemed like they were pretty smart folks. And so I'm like, you know, I want to be a veterinarian. And, uh, and then the second thing is, uh, once I got a little older, then I wanted to be a politician. I can see that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would not run for, I applaud anyone who runs for office. I would not do it in the current, <laughs> in the current landscape. Yeah. So I, 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 um, preparing uh, to talk to you today, I was glancing at your LinkedIn, but talk about your dad and your family growing up. I know it was a fourth generation farm and it seems like he was, a uh, a very innovative person and yeah. Talk about that experience. Yeah, so I was uh, first gen to uh, to go off to college. I went to Mizzou um, when I was, you know, right right after I graduated from high school. But growing up, I grew up on a, a family farm that had been in my family for, um, you know, my dad would have been fourth generation, I think. And it was at a time in the where my, um, I you know, a large part of my childhood was was in the eighties. And the 80s in the middle part of the country was a time of, there was a lot of uh, the agriculture industry, the farming industry was very, very depressed. And uh, it was just not, a, it was not a very solid uh, economy at that time. And there were farmers that were uh, losing their farms and everything else. And my family was no different. My, even though the, this farm had been in my family for a long time, my father was having a hard time um, making it. And uh, it was there was a, there was a lot of stress that was going on at the house. I'm not sure that I knew that there was as much stress when I was there, but you know now kind of reflecting upon it as an adult, I realized some of the pressure that my mom and dad uh, were under. And when I was uh, entering high school, I think it was about the time I was entering high school, 
uh, he had decided he knew that he was going to lose the farm if he did not do something different. And so he uh, started a business uh, in town. He never thought he would, you know, start a business, but he started a business in town and uh, with his brother-in-law and um, that they operated that business for not 30 years. Maybe they just uh, sold it two two years ago so that they could both retire. But that business uh, really saved our farm and it gave him, you know, really all the security that he needed. And so it was, it was pretty cool. But what's cool about that story and the thing that I've tried to learn from kind of his journey is to be pretty reflective and know when things aren't working and then to not be, you know, even though you may not know what you know, that next destination is, is going to look like or there are no guarantees it's going to work, uh, you got to have faith and you got to just keep kind of putting one step in front of the other uh, and, and innovate in an effort to continue to, you know, remain relevant and, you know, create some level of stability in your life. So it's, it was a cool story and it, it really did, it really did shape me. I did not realize that it shaped me in my twenties or maybe even in my thirties. But once I got to my late thirties, early forties, I realized that that, that upbringing and some of those experiences that I had with some of my dad's challenges associated with, saving the farm, they, they really did impact kind of the decisions that I make today. Yeah, Crowder, did you, uh, I know you were entering high school, did you work there at part-time, summers or after school or anything like that? Well, when, um, so, well, I'll answer the question in two ways. So if you grow up on a farm, you work on the farm and you don't really get paid to work on the farm. So, right. <laughs> um, so I absolutely worked on the farm, you know, starting when I was a young child. Uh, when he went to town and started operating the business, I never worked uh, at the, I never worked at the shop with him. Yeah. I did not. You're you're actually the third guest that uh, grew up on a farm. Uh, Tabitha Scott, uh, who I interviewed, uh, I think she was episode four. Grew up in Kentucky. Talks about that. Uh, Teresa Carey, who actually uh, I interviewed her a while ago, but her her podcast launched uh, today. Uh, she grew up in a farm in North Carolina. So yeah, it's very uh, you know the work ethic, putting the hours in. And I always love the uh, Stephen Covey, uh, you know, law of the farm. You know, it's it's a process and you have to plant, mm -hmm. you know, fertilize the land, plant the seed and, you know, it's a it's a process. You can't hurry the process. You can't hurry the process. And there's yeah. a lot of the process that's out of your control. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think I think in a prior life I grew up on a farm, but I, I did not. <laughs> I did not. So. <laughs> You know, and I, you know what I loved about the agri. So I worked for Bayer Crop Science here when it was still in Kansas uh -huh. City, and headed up uh, marketing and advertising and customer care and a few other functions. But what I loved about it, and I had no agriculture background, but all the people I worked with, I mean, they, you know, they hired me uh, just because I had a diverse experience. They had a bunch of people that knew ag. They didn't have, you know, people that, you know, knew customer experience and customer segmentation and information-based marketing strategies and things like that. And it was just phenomenal that they that such passion for agriculture. And it was, and it was inbred in the, in the families. Like they, they grew up on farms. They went to, um, you know, various colleges for ag marketing degrees, 
you know, mm-hmm. like they, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it just, and, and, you know, work animal health drug manufacturing, you know, the veterinarian, you know, supplying, uh, supporting veterinarians. And it, it, the two industries are very similar, very caring, you know, passionate, but, but especially agriculture, it, it was in people's blood, you know, that worked at Bayer. It was phenomenal yeah. to see. Well, there's a tremendous amount of pride. I think that's the word that I would yeah. use. The folks that, you know, where that's their um, upbringing and they choose that as a career, there's a there's a great deal of pride and mission orientation to where, I mean, a lot of people don't really think about kind of the mission purpose of, you know, of someone that's farming when they choose that career choice. I mean, they don't really take it. Uh, they don't take it lightly and they know that their job in part is, you know, feeding some portion of the world. And I mean, I think having that mission orientation does provide them with a lot of pride. So even though I never, I, I have not uh, chosen farming as, as a profession, it's still very much uh, ingrained in my uh, DNA. Just a quick story from, uh, from Bear, the, the guy who ran, um, uh, or potato, uh, fungicide, herbicide, you know, uh, brand. He, I think it was Dan something Meeks, I think, came into my office once. He goes, it's crazy. You go to the grocery store, a bag of dirt costs more than a bag of potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. He goes, yeah. Look, you you go get Miracle Grow potting soil and compare it to uh, you know some Idaho potatoes, and and he was right. <laughs> yeah, that's that is pretty funny. Oh God. Um, yeah. So uh, why'd you pick Mizzou? Well, uh, I had wanted to go there ever since. Like when I think from the minute that I started high school, I knew that I wanted to go to Mizzou, and they had a great uh, agriculture uh, college. I knew. Uh, some of the faculty there because I was pretty involved in an organization called FFA at the time. Oh, sure. And I knew I was going to major in um, ag um, just really for the purposes of making the transition to college. I mean, you know, I grew up in a, in a community of, you know, 2000 people. And so to, you know, go to Mizzou where there were, I don't know, 25,000 students at the time, that was going to be a big transition. So to ease that transition, I, I uh, enrolled in the ag uh, college and majored in agriculture journalism, which basically duly enrolled me in the J School of Mizzou and the College of Ag. And my intention after I went to Mizzou was I was going to go to law school uh, to kind of follow that route to become a lawyer and then politician. And those plans were derailed. Yeah. So uh, what derailed them? I had an internship um, between my junior and senior year of uh, college uh, with a PR firm called Fleischmann Hillard, and they had an ag division, an agriculture division, and um, it was a great internship. And the senior partner at the time, his name was Gary Kisner, he ran the uh, ag division there. He knew kind of what my intention was that I wanted to go to law school, and he's like, you know what? But before the end of the summer, we're going to change your mind. And um, I don't know that I, my, my mind was fully changed at the end of the summer, but then I ended up getting a job offer in November of that year. And they wanted me to start in January before I had even um, finished my degree. And I'm like, you know what? Starting making money versus going in debt, going to law school, I think I'll start making money. So I decided to uh, take, take the offer and give it a shot. Wow. So it's 
basically didn't even interview for the job. Probably in, interviewed for the internship, but uh, and, right. Yeah, wow, that's phenomenal. Um, did you even end up applying to any law schools prior to November? I had taken the LSAT yeah. uh, and was starting that the application process. Wow. And you know, and I say now you're testing my memory here for a minute. I say November. It may have been earlier than that wow. because one of the things I was doing, I was freelancing with them. Once I got back to school, I started doing some freelance uh, work for them for the first couple of months, and then they just said, you know what, we want you full time. So that that's kind of how I began my began my career. But it it started as a result of having a really great internship experience with. Fleischmann. So uh, that that uh, gentleman was he your first uh, professional mentor at post college? Yeah, and I didn't work with him extra closely, but I observed and watched him like um, like I just was a sponge whenever I was in a meeting with him and some of the other partners at Fleischmann and and you know at the time I don't know that I really realized what a gift it was that I that I worked there, but you know by the time I had gotten to my second job. Uh, I realized that I don't know that I could have started my career at a better place because I had, uh, you know, I was you know, 21, 22 years old, working on some really cool client projects. But more importantly, I was able to actually sit in meetings and listen to how um, the senior folks, you know, interacted with with clients. I heard how they would strategize and problem solve, and I was so intrigued by how they thought about things and how they were able to look at things in a really multi-dimensional way. It was something that I don't know that I was really taught uh, in my formal education. But then when I got there, I'm like, I just, I, I learned a ton just by the power of observation. Yeah, that's, that's great. So what, uh, you had a great experience there. So uh, you uh, left to go to American Century. What, what was the uh, driving force for that move. So now I'm going to date myself, Jeff. Are you ready? <laughs> you, you can't date yourself more this, than me, Scott. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was this thing called the World Wide Web uh, or Internet that was www. Exactly. <laughs> uh, there, it had not. Um, it was not mainstream at all. Hardly any businesses were really, uh, I mean, some of them may have had a dot-com site or whatnot, but other than that, I mean, there just was, it was not, there was not a high propensity of organizations that were really doing much in that uh, space. This was in 96. And so um, I interviewed for this job. It was with American Century, 20th Century at the time, but now American Century. And they were starting an electronic commerce group, and there were four people uh, they were adding a fourth person to this three-person team that would be like a, call it a business analyst, if you will, to help them build out the first um, website, first mutual fund website to allow people to transact business online. So being able to invest online and exchange funds. And so that was the position I applied for. Um, I didn't know anything about it. I had my boss at the time at, at Fleischmann Hillard we, I don't even know that we had internet access at uh, Fleischman Hillard at that time, but he had it at his house and he invited us all out to his home to play around. And this was the dial up days. And I don't know if his AOL was his provider right. or what, but that was kind of the first time I saw it. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. So when I saw this position, 
uh, posted, you know, months later, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to at least give it a shot. I mean, of course, I didn't know anything. I'm not even sure how qualified I was, but no one was really qualified at that time right. to do that stuff. And that's how I ended up. That's how I ended up leaving Fleischman and going to um, American Century. Yeah, interesting, because, I mean, you know, it's a really big jump to support, you know, Pfizer Animal Health at the time and, uh, you know, an ag, a couple of ag clients and then go to financial services. Uh, yeah, the mm -hmm. funny part about all the, the, those days was, you know, every time you gave the website name, you would say, www.sprint.com. <laughs> like you would always say uh -huh. the, the www. <laughs> I think there's some comic that does a bit on that back in the day, but. Uh -huh. That's funny. Yeah. Um, You're right. We always said it. Yeah. I'm not sure why. Right. Well, it's so new. I know it's crazy. Um, so you worked at ACI American Century when it was 20th century, you know, just a phenomenal, uh -huh. uh, I just interviewed um, Steve McLean, who spent 12 years there as an executive and just uh, James Stowers, you know, just a tremendous founder. And I think, you know, the, a lot of the core values of American Century or his core values, you know, uh, were part of American Century's culture and core values. Mm -hmm. And there was really, when you worked there, probably no better place to work in Kansas City. Uh, Oh my gosh, it was it was incredible, yeah. and because and, I was there between '96 and 2000, and the J.P. Morgan partnership started about the time uh, I was leaving. But culturally, it was just a super, it's a super cool place, and they um, were very loyal to the people and rewarded people that were there. So it was a it was a it was a great place to work, and I and you know that was such a blessing to work there in the role that I had because. You know, I got experience. I mean, we were we ended up being the first mutual fund company to allow people to transact business online. And so going through that process and negotiating with insurance, you know, insurance companies to be able to get insured, et cetera. I mean, I just learned so much. And I was in my, I don't even, maybe late 20s, probably, I think. Yeah. Uh, so to get that kind of experience uh, at that time of my career, um, it was just, it was a real, it was another great I mean, it wasn't some destination that I thought I was going to, where I was going to end up, uh, but I'm glad that I kind of took the risk to go, uh, you know, the ag industry and try something different because it really did kind of set the trajectory for the rest of my career. When I worked at Sprint, we always thought American Century was the country club, you know, because because really they were uh, a company that really cared, like you said, for their employees. I, mm -hmm. I remember you guys got like you know three hundred dollars a year to buy you know new sneakers or play do guitar lessons, and you know I was like, damn, that's pretty good, <laughs> you know, like they were com they were committed to wellness yeah. before wellness yeah. was even a thing. Yeah, and they just uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, they had sabbaticals after so many years of service. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were very forward thinking and uh, really caring for their uh, team members. So uh, kudos to them. I'm not so sure it's the same uh, today, but uh, that's for another discussion. So uh, what made you leave there and go to DST? Um, so because of the um, experience that I got at uh, American Century building out that the electronic um, capability. I was recruited out of uh, American Century to go to DST because DST, obviously, at the time, I mean, they were a big transfer agent for the mutual fund industry, so they were wanting to do some of the same things that we were doing at ACI, but at a larger scale, for, more across the entire investment uh, management space. So that was the reason why I left. And 
when I went there, I ended up being a product manager for uh, the bit of a business that did all the printing for uh, a lot of brokerage and mutual fund companies. And they wanted to move uh, from not just printing paper, they wanted to move to being able to provide electronic statements, trade confirmations, prospectuses, et cetera. So I uh, joined them and as a product manager, led uh, a development team to build out that capability as well. When you were at American Century, what, did you gain some more people that you would consider mentors or great leaders that you tr were trying to emulate? Um, yeah, that's a that's a good question. I had, um, you know, at, you asked this question about Fleischman Hillary, and you talked about Gary specifically, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't really answer that question because he and I just didn't work closely together because he was like three layers up. So that's why I kind of answered it the way that I did in terms of being a sponge. But there were some other folks, a guy by the name of Rick, uh, the late Rick Famer, who was a mentor to me. And I've reported to him probably for the last two to three years that I um, worked at, at Fleischman Hillard and, and he was awesome. And then when I went to um, uh, American Century, there was a woman there that hired me. I didn't report to her the whole time I was there, but her name was Mary. What were and she uh, and she was a mentor. I don't know that at the time I really characterized her as being a mentor, but the things that I learned learned from her was just to really have this, you know, kind of open mindedness and uh, willingness to think that anything is possible. She was a, she was probably the most inspiring leader that I had worked with, um, you know, kind of at that stage of my career in terms of really embracing innovation and embracing this idea of exploration and being curious and uh, being super open-minded. So she was awesome in that regard and, and really, uh, again, like I said, paving the way, not just in terms of the things that I learned that I could apply to future jobs, but some of these soft skills that I learned from her that are still paying dividends um, to this day. And you know, and one of the one of the other things that I would say about that time, at um, uh, at American Century, and this was all because of Mary. But we were uh, really changed. We were we were change agents inside that organization because we were fundamentally trying to to change the way investors were doing business with us. So you know, when you're in an organization that had been around for decades and they had gotten used to doing things a certain way, and the people that were there. I, you know, some of them would have been resistant to change. Some of them would have thought we were crazy. But one of the things that Mary, because we were we were hitting some roadblocks for sure as we were going through that journey. And one of the things that Mary did is that she hired um, some cha uh, some change a change management consultancy out of the Bay Area to basically come live with us uh, in our offices for about a year, and they taught us you know, about collaboration and consensus building and, and how to facilitate, you know, working with a group of people towards, you know, and how to get various people on board with things that may be resistant to it. And to this day, I still have the binder uh, that we were given for that training. And I still use some of the tools and techniques that we that were provided and that, and I wouldn't have had access to that resource, those resources, if it weren't for Mary recognizing that we needed to be um, knowledgeable and trained on how to build consensus and, and collaborate with our peers. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, do you remember the name of the consulting company? Nope. Oh, if you don't put me on the spot, I'll I'll think of it okay. later. So probably good. when probably when this probably when this recording is done, I'll re- <laughs> I'll remember it. <laughs> It's all good. I was just curious. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, you know, great leaders understand that you know uh, that you have to sometimes go externally to gain expertise and a, a different way of thinking, especially in terms of what you are doing in terms of changing how how business is being done. So people are resistant, and and so yeah, uh, kudos to her. Um, in that uh, aspect. So uh, you stay at DST about a year before you moved on. What, what was the uh, what, what was the driving force be, behind the transition to your uh, going to U.S. Central? I mean, again, I, like I would love to say that I was proactive in making some of these changes, but I reacted. So there was someone that approached me about a position that was becoming that was uh, opening up at U.S. Central. It was a head of strategy and innovation. And I'm like, sure, I'll take a look at it. And um, went through the interview process and ended up and ended up getting there. So it was not, a, I wasn't, I hadn't decided that I wanted to make a switch proactively and I was out looking for opportunity, right. but it was really right. just being open to calls that were coming in and, and being willing to, you know, sure. hear about it and explore it. So that's how I ended up at US Central. Like Mary said, keep an open mind. There you go. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, U.S. Central was a bank. Yeah, it's, it was a it's a it was a wholesale credit union. So okay. it basically provided access to uh, liquidity and to the, to Wall Street for credit unions across the country. What part of your career journey did you start having direct reports? You know, so you officially became a manager slash leader. That the U.S. Central job. Okay. Yeah. So what what was that like and kind of where did you, it sounded like you had some great men, mentors in uh, uh, at Fleischman Hilliard and, and Mary at American Century, but uh, kind of what else did you do to kind of say, okay, now I have people reporting to you I'm responsible for and I need to, you know, help them, uh, you know, grow and we have to do great things together. What was your process there? I learned by failing is how I, how I became a better <laughs> how I became a better manager. And what I mean by that and is that, um, so the group that I led, it was a small team. And, you know, we basically had internal, we were, you know, partnering and consulting with internal business units. And I had worked there for a couple of years and they'd done a pretty good job from a performance standpoint. But then year three, year four came and, we, you know, we were just, I mean, like, all the business units were asking us for their help. Then we had our clients of the of the credit union were asking for uh, my group to perform, you know, a variety of different strategic planning and strategic initiatives for them. So I went into my annual review that year, thinking, "Oh my God, this is going to be the best thing ever. I'm going to get you know five star out of five. Hopefully, you know, it's like a, this generous." payout from a bonus standpoint, because I was feeling pretty confident. And my boss at the time looked at me and he's like, you know, your interpretation of your um, your performance or your view of your your performance versus mine is really different. And he's like, let me tell you what my view is. He's like, you're, you, Scott Burdett, are doing an incredible job with the work that you're doing, but we are putting you in a position 
to manage and lead others, to teach others how to do the great work that you're capable of doing. And right now, when our customer, when our credit, when our customers and when the internal business units are calling, they're not calling for the department, they're calling to access you, meaning me, you know, meaning me. And he's like, and that's got to change. And that was when I find that was kind of the big eye opener for me that I really needed to develop into a better, uh, not just a, 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 not really a better manager, but really a better leader and coach and look at how I can help others become, you know, more equipped, have greater skills, learn from me, but then also learn from uh, them as well. But that was kind of a big defining career moment for me as I was moving into those into a management role. Kudos to your manager that gave you that. Like a lot of a lot of managers would have just let it ride. Uh, just, you know, kind of reward you for, you know, your great performance. But, you know, that that person saw the, the bigger picture. And I've, I've used that example many times as I mentor uh, people that are moving into manager positions. I'm like, don't make the same mistake. I made. Right. <laughs> well, I love it. I love the learning by uh, by failing. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, it. that's great. Um, yeah, we all did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I'm still learning by failing. So yeah, so I mean, you know, uh, you then go to uh, Two West Agency, and I think you, that was your progression there, and then and then UMB. But would tell the uh, listeners about your experience at Two West and UMB, and kind of some of your great accomplishments at those two uh, organizations. Yeah, so at uh, Two West, I was the COO of the uh, of that agency. So the account teams reported into me, and um, and you know I managed many of the client relationships that we had at the at the time. And uh, you know what was cool about that experience, and you know Ethan Whitehill, who's um, you know still in town and is now uh, working. At Crux, he was the owner of of Two West, and I appreciated him giving me the opportunity to join him. I had known Ethan for a long time, uh, so this kind of speaks to uh, the importance of uh, keeping and maintaining a network. Because I had known Ethan for 20 years prior to him hiring me to, to to join. But one of the things that I thought was really cool about the time there, and that was one of the small, that was the smallest organization I had worked uh, for up to that date, and um, and, you know, we had, uh, we did some really interesting work for clients and we were always, and this is particularly, this is Ethan's DNA. He's always kind of thinking about the next thing. And one of the things that we really embraced with help from clients like Sprint is this, you know, kind of moving from kind of traditional uh, marketing communications platforms like, you know, print signage and print collateral and in-store to really transitioning to more digital uh, related assets that could be changed on a more frequent basis and in theory in a more cost-effective way in terms of less printing and production. But, you know, it was cool to watch us in that transition because, you know, like when I worked in a larger organization, there would have been a department that would have been responsible for kind of overseeing that transition, but we didn't have a department overseeing that transition. We just kind of had to build the plane as we were flying it. And, uh, and it was cool to see how we did that. And it really helped foster and facilitate a lot of growth for Two West, uh, but also not just, you know, kind of top line revenue growth, 
but the mix of work that we started doing really became very digital centric. And it felt like, well, when we were there that we did it in a pretty seamless, uh, in a pretty seamless way. So that's what was really cool about the 2F time. And then, you know, at UMB, um, I was the basically like the COO for the consumer division of the bank. I was head of customer experience and operations. And, um, you know, I really, again, that's what was an, another, op- I'd never thought about going back into banking. I'd never worked for a bank. I'd worked in the credit union space. I'd never thought about going into the bank, but you know, why I went there was that at the time that I joined it, which would have been 2011, there was a lot of regulatory changes that were happening. And there was a lot of fee income being removed from the income statement of the, particularly the consumer part of the bank. And so we need to really kind of rethink the business model and figure out how we were going to replace some of the revenue that was being lost on the fee income side. So it was a real, it was an opportunity to go in there and really, you know, again, innovate, think about how to approach the business differently uh, and how we were going to replace that revenue. And it was super, and it was cool. And I was hired to do one thing, but I ended up doing something different and the, and the bank took a little bit of a risk on me because I ended up leading, you know, bank op, uh, branch operations and the uh, uh, call center and the ATM network. And so I became this very operational oriented person while I was there. But the whole intention was to try to embed a more customer friendly approach into the operations of the institution. And it was cool. I learned a ton while I was there. And uh, we made a lot of great contributions to UMB while we were while I was there as well. Yeah, interesting. So you kind of probably use some of your uh, American Century uh, learning in terms of change because you know, banks are traditionally not the fastest moving, you know, cultures and things like that, and probably more resistant to change than you know startup organizations, obviously. Well, and, and you know, and you men- you've mentioned mentors a few times, but. Uh, the person I reported to there was an individual by the name of Christine Pearson. And again, I mean, she would be another one that I would lift up as, um, you know, really creating an, an environment uh, that was open to change and wanting to hear new ideas. And, you know, if I wasn't bringing new ideas and asking the hard questions, then I was letting her down. So I think, you know, the thing you know, as people are thinking about, you know, like work environments to be in and people to work for, I think finding people that have a, at least this is true for me. Uh, Cause if I could, if I'm not working in environments that are receptive to new ideas, I'm going to be stifled and I'm not going to feel like I'm really growing personally. And I just really appreciate the managers and executive leaders that I've worked for that have really created environments and, and cultures that have been receptive to new thinking and new ideas, because that's when that's when I have flourished. And if you'll notice, Jeff, it, it, you know, kind of ever since the moment that I left uh, Fleischman Hillard, I've always been in these roles that have been kind of uh, challenging, kind of the normal, you know, whatever was considered normal practices of the past, or looking for ways to continuously innovate, um, you know, deliver enhanced service to the customer. Um, so on and so forth. And so that's just been a constant that's been in my career literally for 20, 25 years. And it's what my consulting practice is based on and really built on today. Yeah, no, I, we're definitely going to touch on your consulting practice. But you had maybe seven 
years in, on the agency side, probably some more on the client side. What do you see as the biggest difference between the two? Diversity of work, I think I would say. You know, on the and, and that then translates into speed. So, uh, you know, the agency environment, I mean, one of the things I loved about the agency environment is that you were playing in lots of different businesses. Uh, and so that exposure was super cool and it was refreshing. And, you know, it wasn't like you were just learning, you know, one particular business or one particular industry. The other thing that was good about that is, and that just results into um, speed. And, you know, the agency environment was very fast moving because you're closer to serving the customer. The customers need something, you know, really quickly. And so, that would be the, th those would be the two primary differences that I would say on the uh, agency side in terms of what I really liked about it. What I loved about the being on the corporate or client side is being able to have a little bit of a longer term view of the business and being able to be more strategic with the moves that you were making that they didn't necessarily need to pay off, you know, in the next you know, next month or the next quarter, but you were able to have a little bit more uh, runway to make some changes that could have impact down the road. What was the strangest, worst client request you ever received? Well, I remember my days at Fleischmann Hiller. The person that's popping my, this isn't necessarily a strange request, but we, I had a client out of Chicago that was extremely demanding. She was smart as hell but she was demanding. And I cannot tell you, this was, these are the days for those listeners out there that can only imagine history with email. Um, we didn't have email at the time. And the, the number of times that I had to drive to the airport in 1994 and 1995 to FedEx uh, materials to this demanding client in Chicago, <laughs> it, was, it was absurd. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. But you know, it's the way it's the way you had to do business at that time. And I and I still remember the drop-off deadline was 940 at KCI for the FedEx. Isn't that pathetic that that's stuck in my head? Yeah, I actually when uh, I worked for a company, Sprint was our largest client, and we had the business for a few years, and I was responsible for the Sprint account. They put us put the business up for RFP. And it had to be there on Friday, whatever date that was. And I, mm -hmm. and our office, I reported into the New York office. So it was at 32nd and Park. And literally, and I'm working with like three different business partners to put this, you know, big RFP together. There was one FedEx place in Manhattan that was open till midnight to guarantee next day because it had to be there at 8 a.m., 9 uh -huh. a.m. And I'm literally there at, you know, with X number of copies, FedExing it at 1155. <laughs> <laughs> and and we lost the business, which was not, uh, it was probably the right move by Sprint. We had too many partners. We lost a like Epsilon or some big uh, conglomerate okay. and we were, you know, piecing things together. Yeah. But anyhow. Yeah. So uh, why'd you go out on your own then after that, after that, uh, to, to start your own consulting company and UMB was going through some leadership changes and I found myself in the midst of that change. So I was given the opportunity after I left UMB to really think about what do I want to do next? And I took about six months um, to figure it out. I had done consulting 
on the side kind of prior because ever since I had left US Central, um, there were institutions that had been calling me uh, to in, in engage and like doing strategic planning for them and things. And so I looked, I kind of looked for a job for six months uh, after I left UMB. And then, you know, while I was doing that networking, I had a lot of people ask me if I would do a project for them. And so within that kind of six month period, I had replaced my income at UMB. And I'm like, you know what, rather than look for uh, a job, maybe I try this entrepreneurial thing. And so I decided in January of 2016, to uh, stop looking for a, uh, a job and instead try to build a consulting practice. So you kind of took your dad's lead and reinvented yourself, right? Yeah, I guess. And so what what was the biggest surprise starting out on your own, you know, after working uh, uh, corporate America for th- th- so many years? You know, I, I think the thing that I was most surprised by in that first 12 to 18 months is the generosity of people. And, um, you know, when I was networking, thinking about my next gig, you know, everyone was willing to, you know, if I reached out to people, they were very giving of their time and willing to have a conversation. And then even when I decided to do my own thing, you know, I was really blessed with people that wanted to help me be successful and they saw a way how my strengths and things that I could do for them, how that they could, you know, benefit them or whatever. And it's just the generosity of people is what I think I really noticed when I made that transition um, into, into entrepreneurship. And then the second thing, and, and, you know, this gets talked about all the time. And I think young people particularly kind of roll their, roll their eyes. At least I know my, my, my daughter does when I talk to her about it, but the power of the network. I mean, it is, if I did not have the network that I had when I started doing my own thing, I probably would have had a lot harder time getting started. But I had a really amazing network of people that I had consciously and unconsciously cultivated over the years. And um, and so that it was that network that really helped me um, do what I'm doing today. And, and just, I'm really blessed with the generosity of, of the, the people that I've encountered as I've been doing my own, own thing. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, in terms of just having, you know, the relationships and what they mean. And I think just Kansas city is a very generous, uh, community in terms of helping each other. How do you help clients, uh, with your consulting practice today, Scott? Yeah, so it's really about growing top line revenue. So I'm a strategy guy. That's what I'm good at. And so, you know, basically what I'm helping them uh, figure out is how to, if they're dissatisfied with their revenue growth or lack thereof, uh, taking a look kind of under the covers of how they're selling, how they're marketing, and how they're uh, delivering service to their clients to figure out ways to make some changes so that they create a different trajectory for their business, that's that's the main that's the main way. So I, so I'll dabble a lot in in you know kind of sales management work, marketing management work, and uh, customer experience work as well. But it's all related to defining a kind of a desired future state associated with growth and creating a roadmap to get there. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I know you do great work. I've, I've heard a lot about uh, from your clients, so that's 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 wonderful. And just uh, I I love uh, Christine Pearson reference. I, I I our our we started our career around the same time at AT and T, but we did not know each other. Um, mm-hmm. And then she was also at Bayer, but I think she was at the animal health side. I was crop science, and they were they were different. Animal health got all the money. Um, things like that, but um, yeah, she's a fantastic person, and uh, she's uh-huh. leading a trestle, I think. Uh, she's the CEO there. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, yeah, so uh, just to kind of end things, I like to help two different uh groups of people. One is a uh, it's April 4th, 2023, so we're gonna have some graduates, uh, college graduates coming out here next month. Um, what advice would you have for them, Scott, in terms of their career and getting their first job? Oh my gosh. And this is, I, this is like the perfect question for me. Cause I literally, I have a junior, I have a son that's a junior in college. who's sweating bullets right now, trying to figure out what his internship's going to be for the summer. And then I have a daughter who just, uh, who's been out of school for about 18 months. So they've heard all kinds of advice from me over the last couple of years, some advice that they probably would prefer not to prefer not to hear. But I think the first thing that comes to mind is uh, use this opportunity to talk um, to as many people as you can. Um, I know it can be intimidating to reach out to people and, you know, you people, you know, you might think that it's weird, but people do want to help. And there's and, and t- especially if they know you're starting your career and you're trying to figure shit out and you don't know what you want to do. I mean, we've all been there and we can relate to that and people are going to be willing to help. So just don't shy away from this opportunity to try to connect and introduce yourself to as many people as you can. And, you know, wasn't that long ago that kind of the normal practice was just, you know, to go to a coffee or to go to a lunch and that, you know, that, and that can require more time. And now we've got the, the gift of being able to j- jump on a Zoom call and where you can literally ask for 10 to 15 minutes of someone's time. And uh, and then don't let that relationship end with that, you know, 15 minute or 20 minute meeting, like figure out ways to stay in front of them and to continue to connect with them. That, that would be the first thing that I would say. The second thing, I know you didn't ask for multiple, but I'm going to give you a, a second one. And that's just to be open-minded. Um, I, I don't know that many people have like a extremely, you know, what they were thinking about doing when they were 20, they're doing at age 40. And I think that you're, that you're to really embrace the journey and to be really open-minded with things that come up. And even if it sounds weird and it, you may not think you might like it to at least explore it. I mean, you never know what will happen and where, just that one conversation might take you. So those network and approach, you know, the job search process with the level of open-mindedness would be the two things that I would suggest. Oh, and the third, the third, this is important, especially in today's um, landscape is to try to manage your stress. I'm not going to tell you to not be stressed about it because there's a reason that we're given the emotion of stress, but uh, I think it's really important to figure out how to manage your, your stress, listen to your stress, and just have a have faith that it's all going to work out. But don't let that stress 
uh, don't let that stress control you, but um, just navigate, navigate through it and just have a, have a, have a hope and belief that things will work out, even though you don't necessarily know where, what you might be doing six months from now, just have a belief that it will work out, will help you kind of mitigate the stress that comes with uh, starting a career and searching for that job. And hell, that applies to people, whether you're just getting out of college or if you've had, you know, five jobs and you're looking for your next one. Yeah, great advice. Um, and then the, the next group I'd, I'd love to help is, so you just became a, uh, a manager of people. So before you were just responsible for yourself, um, you, you've done great, you, now you lead a team. And what advice would you have for them in terms of their leadership journey? Listen. Uh, listen and take an interest in the people that you're leading. I just think that a lot of times managers or executives feel like they have to have the answer. Uh, they have to have all the answers and um, you don't have to have all the answers. All you need to know is who on your team has the answers. And the only way you're going to know who on your team has the answers is if you really get to know them at a personal level and a professional level and really listen with a genuine level of curiosity um, that's going to make you the best leader. And if you can figure out what makes people tick and how you can help them and how they can help the organization that where you're working, uh, you'll be the best leader possible. Scott, thank you so much for your time, your insight. I'm always impressed by you. And uh, I'd love to uh, be a client of your consulting company uh, as I grow. I'm not <laughs> sure how insightful I've been, but hopefully the listeners can learn from some of my failures. Well, thank you again. You bet. Thank you. I love the lessons that Scott learned from his dad. I mean, here uh, his dad was a third or fourth generation uh, farmer. And having worked at Bayer Crop Science, it's just the passion people have around agriculture. You know, Scott grew up in a northeast Missouri small town and goes to the University of Missouri to get his agricultural marketing degree. They're just so passionate about agriculture and what it means. And this is our, now our third guest that grew up on a farm, Tabitha Scott, uh, Teresa Carrion, uh, and now uh, Scott Burdett. And it's just the work ethic uh, these people have. It's just it, it's something that drives their whole uh, professional career. Joe, what did you take away from the episode with Scott? You know, Scott's life mirrors my own a lot. He grew up small town in northeast Missouri. I grew up in a small town in northeast Missouri. The difference was that I was a city boy and he was a country boy, so he was all about agriculture and we and FFA uh, we had FFA chapters um, but I that wasn't part of my culture as a matter of fact that was kind now, of Joe, culture wait, we would make when, fun of when you say city Joe what, yeah what, what was the population of your city 5,000 5,000 5,000 Macon Macon Missouri so I grew up in an area a lot like his the difference was he grew up on a farm and then and then went to Mizzou. The interesting thing that he talked about, and he actually ended his conversation talking about this, is that he learned by failing. And boy, I've had enough failures in my life. I know exactly what he's talking about. I'm not going to go into all of them. That Maybe that's for another time. But he learned by failing. 
if you look at every failure that you've ever had in your life, either professionally, personally, relationship-wise, whatever it was, if you're not learning from it and learning from it in a way that you can talk about it, then you're you're just wasting that failure. And that's kind of a shame. I think everybody ought to be able to learn from that. Yeah, you can't grow without failing. I mean, no uh, human being would ever learn to walk as a baby if they uh, treated if failure. If they didn't fall down, that's why diapers are padded in the rear. <laughs> Great. Great insight, Joe. Thank you for that. <laughs> Speaking of insight, what leadership insight would you like to impart today? Well, today we're going to go back to that great philosopher, Michael Scott, who one time said, I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.